Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We are here to recap the first round of your fantasy football playoffs, the Sunday afternoon games for Week 14. We have so much to get through. We have 13 games that we have to go over and talk about in today's show. And, of course, what our fantasy expectations were, what happened in these games, what we can expect moving forward for those of you who are lucky enough to move on to the next round or maybe still waiting for the Monday night game to decide exactly how your fates will be decided heading into next week. A lot to unpack in this week's game, this week's showdown, really for everybody involved. And we expected there to be some points scored. There was a lot of key matchups plus matchups for a lot of fantasy relevant players out there. And for the most part, this week did not disappoint in what our expectations were for at least the players that we expected to do well, for the most part. We're going to go through all of that and more throughout this show, kicking it off with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins as our first game up. The Chiefs winning this game 33-27 had the Miami Dolphins dead to rights. And like a lot of Chiefs games, 
really frankly, especially as of late, but so far this season, they get off to these big leads, and then they kind of let that team come back and make it somewhat close at the end. And I want to start on the Dolphins side of the ball because I want to give Tua Tagovailoa a lot of credit in this game. We saw Tua grow right before our very eyes in this matchup. 28-48, 316 yards, two touchdowns, a pick, also tacked on 24 yards on the ground along with a rushing touchdown. From a fantasy standpoint, this was his biggest fantasy game. Now, nobody, in, in a unless you're in a two-quarterback league, nobody in a one-quarterback redraft league, which is mostly what we focus on when we're talking about these recaps from this show in general, was probably starting to attack Lavoe in this matchup. But we saw him grow up in front of our very eyes. Devontae Parker went down early in this game with a leg injury, never came back. We're going to have to keep you guys up to date with exactly what his status is at Belly Up MDFF Show throughout the week, assuming that if you did play Devontae Parker, you were somehow able to make it to the next round because he completely goosed you. He gave you nothing before having to leave for the injury. In his stead, it was Lim Bowden Jr., who was a running back, who's a rookie, who used to, was on the Raiders when this season first started. Seven catches and 82 yards on nine targets. Mac Hollins, the ex-Eagle wide receiver, now converted tight end. Nine targets, five catches, 66 yards. Jakeem Grant, who also went out of this game for a little while. Three catches, 32 yards on five targets in this game. But listen to those names that I just said to you. Lynn Bowden Jr., Mac Hollins, Jakeem Grant. The best one on there is Jakeem Grant, who would be the fifth receiver on a good team, who would be the sixth receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tua Tagovailoa not only kept his team in this game, but gave him a chance at the end and went over 300 yards. That's what I mean. We saw him grow up in front of our very eyes. He started off the game like he normally has over the past few weeks. A game manager. A guy who didn't want to make mistakes. A guy who wanted to play a conservative. And then he realized, I'm playing as Kansas City Chiefs. I can't hold anything back. And even though I don't have the best of weapons out there, I still have to be able to find a way to make plays and be aggressive and give my team a chance offensively to score points. And that's what I mean. We saw him grow up in front of our very eyes to the point where we might now see Tua Tagovailoa go from being a game manager to, you know what? Let's get more aggressive. If I can be aggressive with these pieces, I can be aggressive with anything. Now, I didn't leave Mike Gesicki out. I left him out on purpose in that, in that first roundabout of targets that I want to talk to you guys about. The reason I left him out is because he had a good game here. Six targets, five catches, 65 yards, two touchdowns. But he also goes down due to injury. He had a shoulder injury. He didn't come back into the game either. And it didn't look pretty. He really like crunched his neck. It looked like they had to pop his shoulder back in. It's possible he suffered dislocation. So he's another guy. You've been streaming tight end. You got a great performance out of him in this week. I don't know if Mike Kosicki will be available moving forward. This Dolphins offense took a huge hit today between Parker and Mike Kosicki. So that's why I wanted to talk about the other guys first because those are the weapons that to attack Lavoa could be moving forward with not just next week, but maybe next couple of weeks with those weapons as his top guys. Rendering the Dolphins outside of a hopeful return of Miles Gaskin from the COVID-19 list almost fantasy useless, fantasy irrelevant 
heading into next week. And even in Miles Gaskin's situation, because he was pulled on a Saturday and because we got confirmation that he was tested positive, he wasn't just a high-risk contact, he tested positive, he's not going to be able to practice at all next week. He's going to have to go through a seven-day quarantine. So it's a bit of a question mark that he'll even be out there next Sunday. A lot of things up in the air for the Miami Dolphins moving forward. But I wanted to give Tua all the credit in the world, even if the Dolphins themselves are going to be fantasy irrelevant heading into next week. We'll talk about that more as we get more details throughout this week. Now go to the Kansas City Chiefs side of the ball, where all of the top, seemingly, fantasy prospects are. Patrick Mahomes didn't have his best game here. Threw three interceptions. He had two interceptions all throughout the year. He had three picks in this game. Two of them, not really his fault. Two of them bounced off the hands of receivers and into the arms of the secondary. But still finishes with 393 yards and two touchdowns. Still almost a 400-yard performance. Still a fine performance for you for a fantasy standpoint. Tacked on nine yards rushing. Apparently, Tyreek Hill doesn't have to catch the ball a lot for him to still be a borderline wide receiver one overall for the week. He had an end around, a run for 32 yards and a touchdown. Three catches only but still 79 yards and a touchdown, seven targets on the day, was second in targets to just Travis Kelsey, who continues to have monster weeks. Eight catches, 136 yards, a touchdown in his own right. These two just continue to lead the charge on the offense. It used to be in the last couple of years, Mahomes will, of course, these two would lead the way for the most part, but they would sprinkle in it would, there would be Sammy Watkins games where he would lead the way in targets. There would be Demarcus Robbins games. There would be these other guys who would sprinkle in these other players. Mahomes is leaning more heavily on Kelsey and Hill, and I would argue this offense is even better now than it ever has been by doing so. Sammy Watkins only had three targets in this game. And a guy that I thought we could consider a wide receiver three, maybe a high-end wide receiver four on a week-to-week basis, I'm coming off of that a little bit. He had two catches, 52 yards on those three targets. But Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are just dominating so much of the work that Mahomes is looking for that everybody else, frankly, has become an afterthought. Told you guys to start Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He had a solid game. wasn't great, but it had a solid game, especially if you're in half-point, full-point PPR games. Only 16 carries or 32 yards. It wasn't very good on the ground. The Dolphins do have a good defensive front, and they have been stingy to run on for the most part. But he did have five catches for 59 yards on six targets. That's the part of CEH's game that you, we've been waiting to come to fruition. I didn't expect him to be a world beater when it came to the ground game this season in his rookie year. It's not what I was expecting. He's not built to wear defenses down. He's a small guy. The reason we were all very excited about CEH and what his prospects could be within this high-powered offense was the idea of how much he would be involved in the passing game. And you know what? That's been highly inconsistent. But it was there for you in this game, giving you a nice floor play throughout this matchup. And that's what you want to see. And maybe even more importantly than that, he played well ahead of Le'Veon Bell. Only had two carries and only two receptions. CH needs to be the bell cow back, whatever form that takes. They're going to have another tough matchup on the ground next week. If you're playing Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 
it's because you're expecting him to get involved in the passing game against the Saints next week. I know the Saints, we're going to get to that game a little bit later, for the first time in a long time, I believe it was over 50-some games, they let up a 100-yard rusher. I'm not going to expect that to be the game plan for the Kansas City Chiefs, though, in that matchup. And we'll talk about the Saints a little bit later on today and what happened in that matchup. Overall, nothing fantasy-wise changes as far as what your expectations for these guys are on a week-to-week basis. So let's move on. Let's move on to the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Titans doing what they should do, which is pumble a team that is far less superior to them. Derrick Henry. I talked about Derrick Henry. He's my number one running back on the week coming in. And I said he has the prospect anytime he plays the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially while they're in this state, to rush for 200 yards on them. That came to fruition. 215 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Derrick Henry single-handedly won a lot of people their first-round matchups. And guess what? It's only going to continue. Now, I'm not saying he's definitely going to run for 200 yards next week and the week after. But we knew that Derrick Henry, one, plays better this time of the year, two, had this schedule where nobody is going to be able to get in his way. He's going to win people championships on his back. There's no doubt about that. And he started off really well with the first round of the playoffs with this kind of performance. And I expect that to continue. A.J. Brown came through for you guys. Seven catches, 112 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. Dominated the receiving game. Did come out for a little bit as he banged up his ankle. Now, here's the good news. I have two good news points, two silver linings for you when it comes to A.J. Brown. It was the left ankle that he got banged up a little bit. And while he was definitely in some pain there, it seemed as though it more came down awkwardly than anything else. He came right back in on the next possession, on the next drive. So he was able to come back in and finish the game until ultimately the Titans took everybody out in the fourth quarter because they already had the game well in hand at that point. So the good news is that I think we're going to see the same schedule at A.J. Brown we've seen for most part of the season, which is he probably won't practice on Wednesday. He probably won't practice on Thursday, but he'll continue to practice in full on Friday. I didn't see anything that he get banged up in this game that's going to keep him out that was different than anything else. And this looked less significant than the ankle injury he sustained last week that ultimately didn't keep him out of this game and was still a monster on game day because he just is. I mean, that flea flicker reception, if you didn't see that, check out the highlight reel. He just takes it away from the corner. Just takes it away from him. He's a monster. And this guy can actually stay healthy. Well, probably won't be this season, but if this guy can actually stay healthy next year, and if Corey Davis does wind up leaving, we're going to see a superstar pretty soon. Now, speaking of Corey Davis, three catches, 34 yards on three targets. Yes, ultimately... Corey Davis was a disappointment in this game. Now, if you were able to survive Corey Davis's performance and looking like you're going to move on to the next round, this does not make me hesitate on playing Corey Davis again next week against Detroit. This is what it's kind of been for this receiving group of the Tennessee Titans. There's been games where both A.J. Brown and Corey Davis could perform. There's been games where it's just been A.J. Brown. There's been games where it's just been Corey Davis. This is kind of what it's been. I am not going to miss out on the opportunity of Corey Davis, who for the most part has been a pretty good wide receiver too for fantasy football purposes 
against the Detroit Lions next week. Not going to miss out on these good matchups with a guy who has performed on a pretty consistent basis. And usually speaking, when Corey Davis has a dud game like this one, he'll come back the following week with a good performance. That's been the pattern so far this season. So this does not make me hesitate on playing Corey Davis again if you were able to survive this performance. Because I know that this, this could have cost some people some matchups. But it doesn't change anything there. Janu Smith, he was able to play this game. It was clearly he wasn't 100%. And it was also back down to his two targets, two catches, 20 yards. Again, outside of A.J. Brown, nobody was really targeted that heavily in the passing game because Derrick Henry just dominated this game as much as he did. I mean, Ryan Tannehill at the end of the day only threw the ball 24 times. And Tannehill, in some senses, disappointed to some degree as well. Now, we knew that there was a chance that if Derrick Henry dominated, there wouldn't be that many pass attempts. But we've seen Ryan Tannehill still be able to turn in top 10 performances, even in situations like this. But in this game, he threw for two touchdowns still. But that was it. He didn't give you anything on the ground like sometimes he will in these situations. And two touchdowns when you're only throwing for 200 yards is not enough to give you that top 10 performance that you're looking for. But kind of like the Corey Davis situation... This does not make me hesitate on playing Ryan Tannehill next week if you're able to make it on to the next round. At all. Playing all Tennessee Titans for the rest of the season. Because the schedule is too good. I'm not messing out on those games. So it over to the Jacksonville side of the ball. Now, outside of James Robinson being only okay, 12 carries, 67 yards, 4 catches, 16 yards on 4 targets, you're hoping for more, but again... The Titans just dominated this game so much to the point that Jacksonville was never able to get anything going offensively, really. They bench Mike Glennon. Gardner Minshew comes in. He performs, I guess, better than Glennon did. I think there's probably a legitimate chance that it's going to wind up being Minshew next week over Glennon, I would imagine. Not that it really matters. Because the only person you're going to continue to play is James Robinson. And while he's disappointing... I'm still going to continue to play him every single week. You have to. Now, as far as the wide receivers go, we saw Gardner Minshew come in, and that seemed to be the resurrection of Keelan Cole coming back into the offense. Keelan Cole has been a thing here and there throughout the year, but he disappeared when Gardner Minshew disappeared. Now that Gardner Minshew is back, all of a sudden it was the Keelan Cole show. Seven catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown on 12 targets. LaVisca Chenault, had 11 targets in this game, 6 catches, 49 yards. DJ Chark, the targets were there. They had 9 targets. The targets have really been there all season long, quite frankly. But 2 catches, 16 yards. Ugh. And you're looking at this Tennessee matchup with no Kenny Vaccaro on top of it, and you probably thought to yourself that Chark could actually be a, a hit, or, hit or boom miss, a boom or bust miss kind of deal, and he busted bad. Busted horrendously. Colin Johnson, who had been playing a little bit more as of late, I talked about on the DC's DFS Challenge show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can check that out every Saturday at 9.30. Talked about him possibly being a nice DFS play, but only two catches, 33 yards, and three targets. It seems as though if Gardner Mitch is going to be the starter, and again, I would assume that would be the case heading into next week, that the only receivers you really trust to do anything would be Cole and Chanel. And even then... You're going to look me in the eye and play Keelan Cole in your fantasy lineups, in your playoffs next week? Probably not. Probably not. So outside of James Robinson, 
At this part of the season, I don't think there's anything else fantasy relevant on the Jacksonville Jaguars. So let's move into our next game. Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I want to talk about the Buccaneers defense because this was something that I talked about going into this matchup. Where the Buccaneers, especially defensively, going to go into their bye week, get back to the drawing board, and get back to what their roots are. Get back to what Todd Bowles' roots are. Which is more man, more exotic blitzes, more pressure overall. They did that. And as a result, Kirk Cousins was not very good. Remember, this is a Tampa Bay secondary that has been lit up and torched quite a bit over the past few weeks. Because they've been playing that soft zone coverage. A matchup that on paper was starting to look good for quarterbacks and wide receivers. And I had the hesitation, and that's why I mentioned on Thursday, when we previewed this game, that I do want to have that caveat out there that this Tampa Bay defense, if they get back to their natural roots, will be a defense that not only do you have a hard time running on, but we'll talk about Dalvin Cook in a second, but you're not going to be able to throw on them very effectively either, especially this offense. That's kind of what we saw to come to the fruition in this, in this matchup. Adam Thielen, only three catches for 39 yards. Justin Jefferson, only four catches for 39 yards. Now, Jefferson at least had the targets you were looking for at eight, but Thielen only had four targets in this game. Carlton Davis did a good job on him. It was actually Irv Smith, not that you were going to play Irv Smith, but four catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown on four targets in the absence of Kyle Rudolph, but again, only four targets in this game. And Kirk Cousins threw the ball 37 times. Generally speaking, that's not going to be a recipe for the Vikings to win. But let's talk about the stud. Let's talk about the superstar. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend himself, Dalvin Cook. 22 carries, 102 yards, and a touchdown. Now, he didn't give much in the receiving game. Only two catches, eight yards on four targets. But it's been a while since any running back has had success, no matter how good they are, no matter how much of a superstar level they are on. It's been a while since any running back has been able to run for 100 yards and a touchdown against this defense. And Dalvin Cook earned that touchdown. If you didn't see it, boy, oh boy, I could not believe that he didn't get stopped short of the goal line. I could not believe that he was able to break that tackle and stretch out across the score. He earned that touchdown. He earned really, truly every yard he got because you could see while he was still 4.6 yards per carry, You could see why Tampa Bay's run defense was so good, even in a game in which Dalvin Cook actually went for 100 yards. You could see it because he had to earn, he had to fight for everything he got in this game. And my hat just went off to Dalvin Cook. They got another tough matchup next week against Chicago, and Chicago's been the one team that actually has limited Dalvin Cook to some degree this season. And boy, they look healthy. We'll talk about that game a little bit later on. But it just shows you it doesn't matter who Cook is playing. As long as he gets fed the ball, he'll be fine. Let's talk about Tampa Bay and their offense. Start off with Ronald Jones. 18 carries, 80 yards, a touchdown, good... Set your future in motion at Chicago State University with over 70 degree and certificate programs, ample scholarship opportunities, and vibrant campus life. Chicago State University is Chicago's number one most affordable public university with a diverse faculty, small class sizes, and almost 50 student organizations, including NCAA Division I Athletics. At Chicago State, we provide you with the tools you need to succeed. Visit csu.edu. Slash admissions to learn how you can earn your freshman year tuition free. 
Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. Solid performance here against the Minnesota Vikings. Only had one catch for four yards. But the big news, of course, was that we got in the morning, Leonard Fournette, healthy scratch. LaShawn McCoy acted as the number two running back. Now, the purpose for the healthy scratch, I am not entirely sure. From what I understand, while Tampa Bay may have came out with the mindset that they were going to allow Ronald Jones to truly be the guy and try to get to a stable running game, which I can understand what it is they're trying to accomplish there. I don't know what Leonard Fournette did to make himself become inactive. What if Ronald Jones gets hurt in this game? Would you really want LaShawn McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn to be your running backs, or would you rather have Leonard Fournette to be able to turn to? So I don't really understand the idea there, other than Bruce Arians saying, we're just going to take the temptation for me to pull Ronald Jones out of the equation completely in this matchup. It's the only thing I could think of. Now, whether Leonard Fournette will be a healthy scratch again next week, I'm not really sure. But the point is this. Ronald Jones is the lead back. Ronald Jones is a solid RB2 with upside because he has big play capability, because he has touchdown capabilities for the rest of the playoffs. And for the people who were playing Ronald Jones this week in their playoff matchups, you had a pleasant surprise by this morning's news, and now, most likely, he contributed to a win. You're going to have a guy that you can really count on to be the guy in your lineups next week. And we've been waiting for this, right? Whether it's been Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones, we've been waiting for a running back to emerge as the guy. Kind of like the Cam Akers situation on Thursday where I said one thing while I got that call wrong as far as that game goes, the one thing I was happy about is that we actually got some clarification on a running back situation moving forward. We got clarification on this backfield moving forward now too. And that can mean a lot for fantasy football purposes. As far as Tom Brady goes, did not have the performance that I was expecting against the Minnesota Vikings. Now, partly didn't have to. Partly this game wound up being a lower scoring affair than I thought it would originally be. He had a clean game from an NFL standpoint, 15 of 23, 196 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, no sacks. So he had a clean game from an NFL standpoint, but not the performance that you're looking for for your fantasy football leagues, unfortunately. Are better days ahead? I mean, you're really looking over the next two weeks, but sure. I mean, the firepower is there. The wide receivers were there. He hit Scotty Miller on a really nice deep bomb there for a 48-yard touchdown. But again, they just they didn't need their offense to win this game. Their defense came to play. Their defense got back to the roots, and they kind of just let Ronald Jones milk the clock, and they just offensively didn't have to be very aggressive at any point in this game. That's why you saw Mike Evans only get five targets for three catches and 56 yards. Antonio Brown, five catches, 49 yards on five targets. Chris Godwin, a huge disappointment fantasy-wise, but two catches, 25 yards on three targets. Rob Gronkowski, he got the touchdown, only one reception for two yards. So even with the touchdown, it was still a mediocre day, even for a tight end. The pass catchers for Tampa Bay, I know absolutely destroyed people this week. There's no doubt about that. Going up against Minnesota, you're expecting at least a good game. 
from these guys, from any one of these guys. And the game script just didn't favor a fantasy performance day. If you made again, this is another situation. If you if you were able to make it onto the next round while having rostered any one of these players, it's not going to sway me from not playing them the following week. But it's just one of those things. And take note of the fact that the Tampa Bay's defense got back to their roots and started playing better. Because now they might find themselves in more games over this last few stretch of the regular season where they might continue to not have to lean on their offense as much. So something we'll have to take into consideration when ranking out and putting in our fantasy expectations heading into Week 15. Let's move into the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants. Kyler Murray was still not great. Now, the Giants have been a legitimate defense, and while this game wound up being lopsided in the box score, 26-7, the Giants' defense showed me a lot in this game. They proved to me that they're a real thing, and not just because they've been playing well for a few weeks now, but you came off that big game against Seattle, that big emotional win that puts you in first place. It was one of the upsets of the year. And a lot of times in those situations, especially defensively, you can find a team coming out emotionally flat the following week. Well, while their offense was nowhere to be found, the defense did not. The defense played well, but they were just all on the field the entire game. Eventually, the levy's going to break. But that's a big reason I contribute that to Kyler Murray only going for 244 yards and one passing touchdown, 47 yards on the ground. Kyler Murray's not 100%. And I don't just mean the shoulder. He banged up his ankle at one point during this game, and he wasn't running around with the same quickness. We haven't seen him running around as much the past few weeks anyway. I attribute that to the shoulder, not wanting to make it worse. But this game, he actually looked like he was coming out looking to run a little bit more. And after he banged up his ankle a little bit, now he was able to finish the game, and I don't think he's going to be unavailable next week by any means, but he was definitely not 100%. He did not have the same quickness he normally does. And I think what we're seeing is that if Kyler Murray gets forced to have to throw from the pocket, he's not that good. He's not that special. If he can't use his legs, especially from a fantasy standpoint, you're talking about a guy who's borderline top 12. Will you continue to play Kyler Murray next week? Yes. But they don't have an easy stretch the rest of the way. And I just, it's more of a situation where I'll be hard-pressed for you to find a better option from a fantasy standpoint than it is necessarily being super excited about having Kyler Murray to be able to play because he's not winning you matchups right now. He's not losing you matchups, but he's not winning you matchups either. Now, as a result of all this, Kenyon Drake got a lot of work this game, as you would expect from the Cardinals being able to lead the way they were. Wasn't very efficient, only 3.5 yards to carry, but 23 carries, 80 yards. He does get a touchdown. Came through for you in a fantasy performance. Kenyon Drake is somebody, especially while Kyler Murray's not playing at 100%, you can continue to play Kenyon Drake with some confidence as an RB2 right now because he's getting a lot of touches. Chase Edmonds was the guy catching the football, four catches on five targets, only 21 yards though, but he didn't get his carries really until the game was almost over. He had seven carries in this game. So you're not, I mean, as a Drake owner, I don't think you have to be that concerned about Chase Edmonds anymore. DeAndre Hopkins did finally get back on track, though. 
And I know I said this going into the matchup. Look, DeAndre Hopkins, I'm not I wasn't worried about DeAndre Hopkins because of James Bradbury. And I again, I don't want to take away from anything with James Bradbury because I, I do feel like I crap on him a little bit, maybe too much, especially for a guy who's having a great season. But he's not one of those top corners that we have to consider to be a top corner this season that scares me away from what my ceiling might be for my top wide receiver. He's just not. I've seen good receivers put up good games against James Bradbury. He just doesn't put that fear in me where I feel like, oh, you might actually be limited this game. I was worried about DeAndre Hopkins because it was a matter of, will Kyler Murray get him the ball? Where's his shoulder at? Because that's more been the issue over the past few weeks than anything else. And I mentioned how last week, DeAndre Hopkins clearly visibly got pissed off that he wasn't getting thrown the ball enough. Well, that carried on into this week. They made sure he got fed. He had 11 targets in this game. Again, nine catches, 136 yards. The only thing he doesn't do is score a touchdown. But the next most targeted pass catcher was Chase Edmonds with five targets. So at least from a DeAndre Hopkins fantasy owner standpoint, not only did you get a good matchup when he needed it the most, but there does now seem to be back to an emphasis of what we saw earlier on in the year where Hopkins is getting fed first and then they'll figure out everybody else. As a result of that, though, there's not a second pass catcher, or a second receiver, I should say, worth owning on the Arizona Cardinals. I don't care about Christian Kirk. We always know Larry Fitzgerald was just an afterthought in this offense anyway. But Kirk's not a thing. Kirk doesn't need to be owned. Now we flip over to the Giants' side of the ball, and because this game script got so out of whack, it was hard to really get anybody going what you expected it to. Wayne Gallman was really the main guy from the Giants that I wanted to play from a fantasy standpoint. And frankly, when he touched the ball, he was fine. 12 carries, 57 yards is 4.8 yards a carry. Three catches, 16 yards. He just His touchdown streak was snapped. He didn't get over 100 yards in this game to make up for that like he did last week. And they just weren't able to stick with the running game because they fell down so far. Colt McCoy eventually did have to come in this game. Now, it was only, for, it was only the very end. It was very end, the last drive. But this is what I was worried about with the New York Giants. This is why I didn't really understand a team that was actually sitting in first place in the NFC East right now with another tough matchup against another tough NFC West opponent. I didn't understand why they were pushing to get Daniel Jones out there. First of all, you just beat Seattle without him. Second of all, a Daniel Jones who doesn't have his legs to be able to utilize out there on the field is worse than having Colt McCoy out there. Because then Daniel Jones is just a pocket passer. And as a pure pocket passer, he's not as good or just as bad, either way you want to look at it, I don't care, as Colt McCoy. At least Colt McCoy, he is a pocket passer. That is his mindset. Daniel Jones is an athlete. He has to be a dual threat guy to some capacity in order for him to be the most effective as a quarterback in general. You take his best attribute, which is his legs away from him, and you turn him into a pure pocket passer, he's not very good. We got to witness that today. 11 of 21, 127 yards, no touchdowns, no threat. Nobody in the receiving group got going. The only thing was different about this game than other games that Darius Slayton was the lead targeted guy on the day. But there's not a Giants wide receiver I want to play or own. And that, unfortunately, has to mean Evan Ingram, too, at least has been somebody you can consider in the tight end streaming territory because of the targets you've been seeing, but he only sees four targets in this one. And if their plan is to trot out a Daniel Jones who can't run because he's the guy, 
well, then this entire offense of the Giants is going to go to crap, especially from a fantasy standpoint. I don't care who they're playing. Wayne Gallman will continue to be the only guy that I have interest in. That's it. And even then, his ceiling takes a bit of a hit if Daniel Jones is continuing to be the starting quarterback while also not being able to be mobile. Let's move into one of our blowouts of the week. Let's move into the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears. Talk about the Bears' defense. Keem Hicks definitely looked healthy. Cleo Mack looked pretty good to me. And we saw what a healthy Chicago defense against an offense that didn't have much going into this game at home in Chicago can actually do. Like I said, the last two weeks, I didn't believe what we were seeing out of the Chicago defense was really the Chicago defense. They weren't 100% healthy. They are playing against two divisional opponents, in both in Detroit and Green Bay, that one, have elite quarterbacks, but two, are teams that know each other very well. And sometimes that can lead to performances that are a little out of whack than what the norm would really be against other teams. I said coming into this game, I didn't like Houston on the road in Chicago offensively what they were going to be able to do. I didn't have Deshaun Watson in my top 12 at quarterback. And he tried, man. I give Deshaun Watson all the credit in the world because in spite of everything, he still had a decent performance. 21 of 30, 219 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, tacked on 38 yards rushing. He tried everything he could do to keep his offense moving. Which really hasn't been much different this entire season. While this is a lost season for the Houston Texans, I will say this. If I'm a Texans fan, my faith in the fact that we gave Deshaun Watson $100 million, and I'm not a Texans fan, but I'm saying as a, if I was a Texans fan, my faith in Deshaun Watson being paid as a $100 million quarterback would definitely give me extra confidence that he earns that contract. Not just based on what he's done in years past, but what he's been doing this year. Because he's been playing well. And yet, it's going to go unnoticed, ultimately speaking, because this team has been so bad. Duke Johnson might have just gotten usurped by Buddy Howe. Duke Johnson hasn't been good spelling in for David Johnson anyway, and this wasn't a good matchup against Chicago. It wasn't like we expected him to do much in the first place. But Buddy Howe, at least, was more effective. 11 carries, 42 yards, compared to Duke Johnson's 8 carries for 26 yards. Now, he did have two catches, 53 yards, most of that coming on the one long 48-yard catch that he did have in this game. But David Johnson's out for the rest of the year. He got placed on the IR. They're not bringing him back. There may not be a running back that I just I want to touch at all for the Houston Texans moving forward. They got another tough matchup next week against the Colts. Not going to want to play anybody there. The only thing I'll keep my eye on is if Buddy Howe really became the starting running back now moving forward for Duke Johnson or not. Just in case in Week 16 where they have, I can't remember the top of my head, but I know they have an easier matchup Week 16 in case I'm looking for a flex play. But I'm not even going to come to my conversation when it comes to Week 15 and who's going to be my top 36. It won't be a Houston Texan running back. I can tell you that right now. Now when it comes to the pass catchers, Brandon Cooks, who on Saturday night, was expected to play. And then all of a sudden we find out Sunday morning that, you know what, know what, never mind, not expected to go anymore. So we all thought, okay, well, that means Kiki Cutie, while this isn't a good matchup, it should mean that he gets targeted as number one wide receiver. Eh, wrong. Now he did have a touchdown in this game, but only three catches and 24 yards on just three targets. You know who was the number one targeted wide receiver? Chad Hansen. 
who had a good game against the Colts the week before. Hanson had seven catches on seven targets and 56 yards in this game. Was the lead targeted receiver. Now, while I have a hard time in my mind imagining starting Chad Hansen in week 15, round two of my fantasy football playoffs, if, if, if I'm in a situation where I need a receiver or a flex play, while I have a hard time picturing that, I will say that's somebody that I am going to bring up when it comes to DFS. Because that's two games in a row now where he's gotten heavily targeted and has had decent performances. Really good performance against the Colts a week ago, and they get to play the Colts again next week. Maybe Brandon Cooks is back next week. Maybe. We'll have to see. He was, he was at the end of the day, ultimately, he was pretty close to being able to play this week. So there should be at least some hope that he would be able to come back next week. But again, against the Colts, the slot receiver is the person who does the best against the Colts. That will still be Kiki Cutie. That will still be Cootie. Cootie, Cootie, however you want to say it. And even then, I'm still not going to feel great about playing him, but that's the receiver that I would probably play whether Brandon Cooks is back or not next week. Now, the one guy who really disappointed me this game was Jordan Atkins because I had him in my top 10. He was the second most targeted pass catcher in this game. Only three catches, 20 yards. He dropped a wide-open touchdown. Now, yet... The sun was on a bad angle, and he clearly lost it in the sun because his hands weren't even where the football was. It hit him right in the chest. And Watson made a great play to even get that ball off and find his receiver wide open by himself, no defenders around in the corner of the end zone. And he just flat out let it hit him in the chest, and he dropped it because he lost it in the sun. So he should have had a much better game. He will still be on my streaming radar, streaming radar, even though it's against Colts, you don't even have a great game the first time around because he still should be the top red zone guy. He'll, he'll be on the streaming radar. I'm not saying he'll definitely be in the top 12, but he'll be on the radar. Now let's move over to the Chicago Bears side of things where we got a lot of really good performances. Now it helps when the Bears defense keeps teeing you up the way that they did in this game, but to kick things off, I mean, David Montgomery went 80 yards for a touchdown in the first quarter. Here's what I thought was odd, though. He goes 80 yards and a touchdown on basically the first play of the game. But only winds up with 11 carries at the end of the day total. In a game in which the Chicago Bears completely dominated. And only went 33 yards on those 10 carries after the big 80-yard touchdown. Now, at the end of the day, you're not arguing with David Montgomery and his incredible hot streak of being an RB1 over the past three weeks continues. But I will say this. He had 11 carries two weeks ago. I think last week he had 15 carries. He's not getting like high-end carry totals here. He just has more holes to run through because the offense it works more efficiently through Mitchell Trubisky, especially the running offense. The thing about David Montgomery, though, is he's still getting some work in the passing game consistently. Through four, four targets, three catches, 42 yards. So he's still getting you work in those aspects of it. So ultimately, you're still getting 15-plus touches for the most part in each game, which is all you're really looking for, and especially now with a guy who's getting some rushing lanes and has still has a great matchup the next two weeks. You're still feeling pretty good about what production you can continue to get out of a David Montgomery. You feel really good about it. 
And because they dominated this week, I don't have to worry about whether or not Mitchell Trubisky will be the quarterback next week. Therefore, my high fantasy expectation for Montgomery will continue. Allen Robinson continues to have his high fantasy performances in these matchups with Mitchell Trubisky as well. Nine catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown on 13 targets. And even Trubisky himself was actually good in this game. 267 yards, three touchdowns. If you decide to stream against Houston, you were not disappointed. Now, Trubisky himself, I still want to steer away from ultimately if I can, but him starting just continues to be essential for being able to ride David Montgomery and Allen Robinson, which if this continues the way it's gone so far over the past few weeks through these good matchups that they have for the rest of the season, they are going to win people some championships as well. Let's move into the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Really our higher scoring close game, you know, not including the Miami-Kansas City game. Drew Locke came through with a big performance. 280 yards, four touchdowns, didn't have a pick, did have a fumble in this game. That was his only turnover. And the man, the myth, the legend of the day was K.J. Hamler. Two catches, two touchdowns, 86 yards. I said before, K.J. Hamler I knew was going to be a DFS play at some point. Didn't think it was going to be this week and probably won't be again for the rest of the season. But he has that big play capability. Just amazing that Drew Locke has 280 yards and four touchdowns, but there really wasn't a pass catcher that was super notable outside of the two touchdowns by KJ Hamlin, but those are also only his two receptions. Tim Patrick, typically the guy who I ranked the highest out of these wide receivers, he came away with a touchdown this one, five targets, tied for the most on the team, three catches, 36 yards. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. And Jerry Judy only had two catches, 42 yards, and four targets, too. Now, Denver was leading this game by quite a bit heading into the fourth quarter. This score wound up being a lot closer than the majority of this game actually was. But it's just weird that Drew Locke has a good game like he does in this one, and yet none of the receivers were that awesome as far as a volume standpoint goes. You have guys who score touchdowns, but that was about it. Noah Fant left really early in this game. Totally goosed you. I felt bad for a minute because I had him ranked inside. I actually had him ranked at 12 overall. Thought he was somebody you could play against Carolina. Thought he was somebody you should play against Carolina at the tight end position. They pulled him off because of an illness. And that was very weird to me. First of all, we hadn't heard anything about Noah Fant having an illness at any point this week. He plays the first drive, and then suddenly he's too sick to play anymore. Now, I didn't hear anything about it being COVID-related, but it was very, very odd 
and it was very Des Bryant-esque, except for he actually got to start the game before being pulled. We never heard anything about Noah Fant having an illness that was going to keep him out of this game or, or keep him limited in this game heading into Sunday. We didn't hear anything about that. So while I feel bad that if you played Noah Fant, you may have lost your matchup as a result, it was a completely unseen for set of circumstances that we were not notified about beforehand. So it was a very odd situation. Now, we got to talk about the backfield a little bit. Melvin Gordon was efficient again. 13 carries, 68 yards, tacked on three catches for 23 yards. He doesn't score. It's only a floor performance. But the big thing is he hurt his shoulder. And maybe he could have played if they really needed him to. But for the most part, Philip Lindsay, who winds up with 11 carries, and again, was inefficient on the day like he has been for a while. He got most of his carries when Melvin Gordon got banged up. So that's something we're going to have to watch throughout the week again with Melvin Gordon to see exactly where he's at in the practice field. If he can't play, then Philip Lindsay is somebody who will become a low-end RB2 in that instance if he has all the carries to himself. But Melvin Gordon may be a question mark when we get into Week 15. Now we can talk about Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater was fine from an NFL standpoint. 30 of 40. 283 yards, no touchdowns though, no interceptions. He does have the rushing touchdown and 31 yards on the ground. So the good news there is he looks healthy from his leg standpoint. He had the knee issue before the bye week. He looks healthy there. Mike Davis spelling for Christian McCaffrey looked more like the Mike Davis that was spelling for Christian McCaffrey early on because he got two touchdowns in this game. 11 carries, 51 yards, pretty efficient, especially against a tough run defense in Denver. Five catches, 42 yards. So if you were forced into streaming Mike Davis for one more week, he came through for you in a big way. Came through for you in a big way. And while it may still not have been quite Christian McCaffrey-esque, it was pretty close with the two touchdowns and 90 yards. So that's the good news there. Will you have Christian McCaffrey next week? I have no idea. Again, that's another thing we're going to have to monitor real closely there is a question mark of what would the point be? A 4-9 Carolina Panther team committed to Christian McCaffrey for the long run. There's only three games left in the season. I will say it's been clear, though, from the get-go that not only is Matt Roll open to the idea, but Christian McCaffrey clearly has been trying to work his way back onto the field this season before it's over. All we know is that he did not practice after hurting that thigh injury in Wednesday's practice of last week. So knowing where he's at this week is gonna we're not gonna know that until Wednesday. To at least get some kind of idea. So I would say the door is slightly open on the situation, but I would say also at the same time, probably less than fifty percent from at least from a logical standpoint. Because it just doesn't make sense for the Panthers to bring him back. Now, there's no DJ Moore in this game. So we figured, hey, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel. And at the end of the game it wound up being that way. Robbie Anderson does finish with 12 targets, 8 catches, 84 yards. Still not the big performance you were hoping for, but a very good one. Curtis Samuel finishes with 7 catches, 68 yards on 9 targets. Again, if you're in half-point, full-point standard leagues, or half-point or full-point leagues, not standard leagues, you, you're, you were fine with that performance there too. However, I will say this. Curtis Samuel, I believe he didn't have his first reception until almost the second half, if not in the second half. And after that, Carolina, of course, was in comeback mode, so the entire fourth quarter was just throw, 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 throw. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't throw the ball 40 times very often. 
So it was more volume-based at the end of the day. But for going up against a team that was down to their backup backup corners and even lost one of their starting corners in this game, it was kind of surprising to see that it took the Panthers being down by multiple scores to finally get Curtis Samuel going with no DJ Moore in the lineup. DJ Moore is another guy we're going to have to watch closely for the injury reports for heading into next week, and I'm not entirely sure he's going to be back for Week 15 either because he's dealing with multiple issues. He tested positive for COVID as well, so he has that situation he has to deal with. Plus, we still don't know exactly what the status of his ankle is because when he went down, we went to a bye week, and he hasn't practiced because of COVID, so we have no idea where he's at as far as his ankle goes too on top of it. So something else we'll have to keep our eyes on. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cowboys doing exactly what they should do, which is beat up on a lesser team that they are superior to. And I think this really carried over from the Baltimore game because we talked about this. Their offense looked fine to me in that Baltimore game. The defense was horrendous. The run defense was horrendous. But their offense looked fine to me. And I thought they would carry that into this game against Cincinnati, which is a much easier matchup. Andy Dalton was not highly prolific, but he was solid in this game. 16 of 23, 185 yards on two touchdowns. He got one touchdown to Amari Cooper, and the other one wound up going to Tony Pollard. Amari Cooper, four catches, 51 yards, five targets, almost an identical stat line to what he had against the Baltimore Ravens. The most targeted pass catcher was Michael Gallup. That's the second week in a row that Michael Gallup was targeted more than any other pass catcher on the Dallas Cowboys. What I think is a little bit interesting considering the beginning of the year, we've all pretty much had to move off of Michael Gallup and accept that of the trio, he seemed to just be the odd man out. But C.D. Lamb only had two targets in this game. Now he had 46 yards. He had the second most receiving yards on the team, but he only had two targets. Now Dallas dominated this game through and through. They didn't have to push the ball down the field. I mean, Andy Dalton threw the ball 23 times. It's probably the least amount that he's thrown the ball since taking over as a starting quarterback for this team. Defense came to play. or it's, I don't even want to say the defense came to play because Cincinnati offense, I don't know who, I don't know what defense out there the Bengals offense can even move the ball against, frankly, at this point. Ezekiel Elliott was disappointing. There's no doubt about that. You thought at least he could be an RB2 against the Cincinnati Bengals. He's clearly not 100%. I know he was dealing with a calf issue coming into this week. He's been dealing with hamstring issues. He looks to me like he's a little, he looks to me a little slow. Frankly, it looks to me like he's a little overweight, too. I do wonder if he's going to be able to get back into shape next season. We might see an Ezekiel Elliott return to form, but until then, I don't see an Ezekiel Elliott who's going to be in shape this season. Period. He only had two catches, 11 yards in the receiving game. On top of it, Tony Pollard actually was not as efficient as he has been, as he as he was, as Ezekiel Elliott was in this game. It's usually been the opposite. Tony Pollard's actually been more efficient. But 11 carries, 39 yards. If Zeke's going to continue to play but not be close to 100%, I think we're going to see still we're still going to see Tony Pollard be highly involved. Will it be borderline 50-50 like it was in this game? I don't know if it'll be quite that much, but 60-40, 55-45? I think somewhere in that range, this becoming closer to a committee is something we really have to consider over the next couple of weeks. It just is. And they got a tough matchup next week against San Francisco where Elliott might not be anything more than RB3 to me next week, frankly. Crazy to think, crazy to say, but if you were going to give me this performance in Cincinnati Bengals because you're clearly not 100%, 
what are you going to expect to do against San Francisco 49ers defense, which is a legit run defense? It'll be interesting. We can talk about the Bengals side of the offensive ball. We'll talk first about how Giovanni Bernard got benched for fumbling, which I thought was stupid and ridiculous. I mean, look, if you wanted to try out Travion Williams, if you wanted to give Samaj Perrine touches, then just do so. This whole head coach thing where I bench you as a running back if you fumble the football, do you bench quarterbacks every time they throw an interception? Do you bench wide receivers when they fumble the ball? So why do running backs always have to be the ones who get benched if they fumble the football? And I'm not advocating that Gene Vine Bernard is sitting on this pedestal where he deserves this extra work, because he doesn't. He hasn't been very good except for the first two weeks that he spelled in for Joe Mixon. But for a guy who's been a veteran, who's a leader on this team, who's been doing the best he can with this situation as it's become the Cincinnati Bengals offense, I don't know. I found it a little disheartening that a guy who hasn't fumbled in as long as he has actually get benched for fumbling at one time. I don't know. In the meantime, though, Travion Williams, 12 carries, 49 yards. They did try to go to Samadji Perrine first, and he just wasn't efficient. He's not good. 10 carries, 32 yards. This is a Dallas defense that we saw get run all over by the Baltimore Ravens. Only Travion Williams was efficient in this game. What does this mean from the backfield of Cincinnati Bengals? I'll tell you two, I'll, I'll tell you two things of what it means. One, not really sure, because... There's no reason really to continue on with Giovanni Bernard. You know he's not the future. Terry Brown Williams is young. Maybe you want to see what he get out of him. But two, from a fantasy standpoint anyway, who cares? You're not playing a Cincinnati Bengal running back, especially not against Pittsburgh next week. A.J. Green came back from the dead in this game. I will mention that. Six catches, 62 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. Was still actually the least targeted receiver of the big three, A.J. Green, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. But actually getting the end zone in this game, not that that means he's fantasy relevant moving forward, but just A.J. Green coming back from dead for half a second. Meanwhile, T. Higgins, five catches, 49 yards on eight targets. Tyler Boyd, five catches, 43 yards on nine targets. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd will continue to be wide receiver threes for me as long as Brandon Allen's starting quarterback. And even though he got banged up in this game, it sounds like he's going to be okay for next week. Although, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I may look to move on from the Bengals' offense altogether. But outside of that, I, I don't even know what what you're looking at from the Bengals side of things. What from a fantasy standpoint, I, while it sucks for T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, guys that you probably did utilize in certain piece roles, some playoff teams out there. I don't know if you would really be looking at them as guys that you think could actually help you win a fantasy matchup right now, especially not a playoff matchup with the situation this Bengals team is in, especially going against the Pittsburgh Steelers next week. I'd rather just avoid the entire thing altogether if you possibly can. So let's talk about the Colts and the Raiders here. Jonathan Taylor finally had a breakout performance. A true breakout performance. He's had good performances, but he hasn't had a breakout performance. This was a breakout performance. 20 carries, 150 yards, two touchdowns. One of them on a 62-yard run where he got to show off every bit of that 4-3-9 speed. Not to mention two catches for 15 yards on top of it. Here's the good news. I think we can officially drop Jordan Wilkins out of this committee. It's been a few weeks now since he's really truly been involved. So I think we can now look at this as more of a two-man front between Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines 
who actually had a really efficient day too. Seven carries, 58 yards on the ground, along with four catches, 17 yards. Now, Naeem Hines isn't going to go away. And the real annoying thing about Naeem Hines is he continues to get some goal line area work, which is really, I think, even hurting Jonathan Taylor to some degree. didn't hurt him in this game, but it just is in general. However, against the Houston Texans, where Taylor should be able to have another good game, now that we can look at this as more of a two-man front moving forward, Taylor will continue to at least be a high-end RB2 and a plus matchup against the Houston Texans next week, if not a low-end RB1. It's a couple games in a row now where they've actually given him the volume, and he didn't screw it up. This is a big win for the Colts. And it's going to go down as a great performance for Jonathan Taylor and could be the breakout performance he needs to really secure this backfield the rest of the way. T.Y. Hilton continues his hot streak. Five catches, 86 yards, two touchdowns. He now has four touchdowns in three games and has scored a touchdown in each of the last three games. And they get to have Houston Texans again next week where he had his biggest game of the year last week. That, T.Y. Hilton becoming fantasy relevant in the best of times is crazy, but he has. Philip Rivers was even okay in this game, 244 yards and two touchdowns. He frankly just didn't have to do that much in this game when it came down to it. Seven targets for T.Y. Hilton. I also want to mention that because Mike, Michael Pittman, five targets. It's also a third game in a row. T.Y. Hilton has been the lead targeted receiver. They've been winning games. Their offense has been playing better since Taylor's been taking over a little bit more and since they've gotten back to T.Y. Hilton being the guy. I make that point because that point is very important for that game plan to continue. Especially talking about a plus match against Houston. So as long as you can continue to count on T.Y. Hilton being the lead targeted guy, I think you can count on him being a wide receiver too right now. Legitimately. Michael Pittman is not somebody I'm going to own. I think there's only room to count on one pass catcher in this offense still. And right now, that's T.Y. Hilton. And you can ride that hot streak against Houston next week, too. We'll talk about that more, of course, when we get into the preview shows on Thursdays and Fridays from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Let's talk about the Raiders. Derek Carr, I mean, I don't think anybody out there would have actually been streaming Derek Carr against the Indianapolis Colts anyway, but 316 yards and two touchdowns. Did have the two picks. Also ran one in from a fantasy standpoint, which is very good. Not that you were playing Derek Carr. The interesting note that I wanted, I do want to look at, though, Nelson Aguilar, five catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets. And it kind of irritated me because where have you been? I've been ranking this guy as a wide receiver, too, the two weeks prior to this because of the matchups they had and the targets that he has been seeing for most part of this year. And yet this matchup, yeah, this is the matchup he decides to go off on, the toughest one of all. Unbelievable. The guy who you were counting on in this game, no matter who you were, Darren Waller, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 75 yards, continues to be an elite tight end when you need him most. This was a tough matchup, too. They've been, Colts have been pretty good against the tight ends this year. And then the other guy you played, but probably disappointed, Josh Jacobs, 13 carries, 49 yards, did tackle on three catches for 25 yards. The important thing to note with Josh Jacobs is that if you can survive and go to the next round, one, he didn't re-aggravate anything. Two, he has a good matchup against the Chargers on Thursday night football this week, the last Thursday night game of the year. And three, 
He was he has his offensive line back. He has Trent Brown back. An offensive line I think will dominate against that defensive line of the Chargers on Thursday night football. So he's healthy. You can play him. And that actually wasn't the third thing. I finally just came up with the third thing was. So we'll say number four, he was the lead guy. Devontae Booker had four carries. Jalen Rashard had two. So it wasn't just that Josh Eggers was healthy. It was clearly, he was clearly the guy. It wasn't like a pitch count situation. It wasn't a limitation situation. The only thing that limited Josh Jacobs in this game was the game script itself, which against the Chargers should be more favorable or at least closer throughout the game with the Raiders. Let's move into the Jets and the Seahawks, and we won't have to spend much on this at all. The only thing here was that James Crowder was a surprise active. We all thought he was going to be inactive for this game. Turns out he was really just a decoy. Rashad Perryman, who we thought might have a high ceiling if he was the lead guy, the main guy against Seattle corners that you can still take advantage of, even though the Seattle Divas have been playing better as of late. Only wound up with three catches for 26 yards and six targets. Frank Gore being back in the mix, proven to be a three-man committee between Frank Gore, Josh Adams, and Ty Johnson. Sam Darnold was horrible. The Jets do not have any fantasy-relevant players. Now, this game was a perfect storm for the Seattle defense. Again, mentioned their defense has been playing a lot better as of late, and it's also a terrible offense in the Jets. But this is something still to take note of. While what we saw out of Seattle defense this past week is not actually how good they are, however... It should, hopefully, if you weren't believing it before that Seattle defense was actually getting better, hopefully you took note of it in this game that you're not going to be able to just put up points on the Seahawks like you were earlier on in the year. So if you're looking at some of these matchups they have coming up in the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't necessarily put a green check mark in their matchup if they have Seattle in the box necessarily as a wide receiver. Because they've been playing a lot better. Now, if I have a good receiver, I'm not going to stray away from the matchup by any means, but... It just goes to the point of they're not, this is not the same Seattle defense that's ripe for the picking that it was earlier on in the season. With, with Jamal Adams back, with Carlos Dunlap now added that defensive line, they have some pieces to be a decent defense when they need to be. And in other senses, the Seattle offense took its opportunity to get right. You know, Russell Wilson didn't go crazy, but he did have four passing touchdowns in this game, 206 yards, one interception. Chris Carson, even though he only had 12 carries, 76 yards, a touchdown, he was good from a fantasy standpoint in this game, tacked on three catches for 22 yards. Now, if you didn't watch this game and you're only looking at the box score, you'll see that Carlos Hyde had 15 carries for 66 yards. I would hope you could surmise, even if you didn't see this game, I did, but this was game scripts. Carlos Hyde took over in the second half. You're not going to get Chris Carson, who's been banged up all year long, a ton of carries in a game that you're completely dominated the way that they did in this one. DK Metcalf, six catches, 61 yards. Did get the touchdown on eight targets. Tyler Lockett, five catches, 52 yards on five targets. It was pretty efficient throughout the game. The one thing that just stinks for Tyler Lockett, though, and, and this was just a game script where, again, where Seattle dominated, didn't have to push the ball down the field, didn't have to throw the ball that much in this game. But five catches, 52 yards, outside of two games against Arizona, it's been really three months since Tyler Lockett has had a good performance against any team not named Arizona. Everything else has been a mediocre floor play. And it's really gotten frustrating with him, especially now you're looking in the fantasy playoffs, because you you know, you know he has the upside. 
You know he has the big play capability, but it's only come in two games this year and one other game where he had a solid performance. Outside of that, Tyler Lockett hasn't really even been a guy who finishes as a starting wide receiver. And you might have to start recognizing that. They go up against Washington next week. It's not an easy matchup, but even maybe more importantly than that, it's again, it's another matchup against a bad offense. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's Chumba Casino. Casino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. That's not going to put a lot of pressure on their offense to have to get aggressive and score. So something to kind of keep in mind, something we'll be keeping in mind when we talk about in the preview shows this upcoming week. Now we got the Packers and the Lions. i got to start off with the Lions side of the ball. Matthew Stafford took a nasty hit at the end of this game. Came up, was feeling around his ribs, jogged off to the locker room, tried to come right back out, tried to throw, uh, threw for a few warm-up passes, and was wincing while he was doing it. The report is right now that he did go to get x-rays after the game. We're still waiting on exactly what the details of those x-rays are. Hoping it doesn't wind up being anything serious. Because this offense has opened up. It's been playing more aggressively. And this team in general, you could tell, they're just having more fun out there. And this wound up being a close game at the end of the day. 31-24. They went toe-to-toe with the Packers for four quarters. And had Stafford not gotten hurt when he did, the Lions were driving for a game-tying touchdown in that situation. So it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if Stafford was able to stay in that game. Here's what was disappointing was the running game for the Detroit Lions. DeAndre Swift was back. It's the Green Bay Packers, which everybody's run all over them all season long. And outside of Swift saving his day with a touchdown, seven carries to 24 yards. Did have four catches for 26 yards on five targets, but seven carries to 24 yards. Not the type of day that you were looking for out of the Packers, especially when you consider that this game was never really out of hand. Yes, the Packers were leading, but it wasn't like it was a frenzy for Detroit to have to come back from behind. So it was a little bit disappointing in that sense. Adrian Peterson had four carries compared to DeAndre Swift's seven. So if you can look, if you want to look at it, that's the good news there. That DeAndre Swift is still the lead guy his first game back. So I'll still have confidence in playing him as an RB2, but it was just disappointing they didn't get a bigger performance out of him in this type of a matchup. Danny Amendola, six catches, 66 yards, seven targets. Marvin Jones, four catches, 48 yards on eight targets. The lead pass catcher on the day was TJ Hawkinson, six catches, 43 yards. Came away with the touchdown on 11 targets. He continues to be an elite tight end force. But all of this is going to be contingent on Matthew Stafford being healthy enough to play next week. They got the Tennessee Titans. It's a good matchup for everybody involved. 
I mean, I'm not probably probably not looking at Danny Amendola, but assuming Kenny Galladay misses again, which is another player who kind of fits that mold of I wouldn't expect you to come back because what would the purpose be at this point in the season? If Matthew Stafford can go, then I'm going to have confidence in all these guys. If it's Chase Daniels, we're going to have to lower our expectation on everybody involved, and that's that's going to be hard to do in Week 15 against the Tennessee Titans on guys that you've been counting on throughout the season. So Matthew Stafford is going to be very fantasy relevant for everybody else outside of himself. And not to mention, Stafford was somebody who's going to probably be a streaming quarterback against the Tennessee Titans next week in his own right. So we're going to have to see exactly what's going to go on with the injury. Make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter and on Facebook. We'll keep you up to date there. As far as the Green Bay Packers go, Aaron Rodgers continues to be Aaron Rodgers. 290 yards, three touchdowns, tacked on another rushing touchdown. I mean, four. The number four seems to be the number when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and touchdowns every single week. Four. He always did four passing touchdowns last week, four total touchdowns this week. You can't keep the guy out of the red zone. You just can't. Devontae Adams. I don't know if there's a more consistent fantasy wide receiver right now than Devontae Adams. Seven catches, 115 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. But even Marquez Valdez-Scantling got in on the fun, not that you're looking at him for fantasy purposes. I know some people had Alan Lazard as a possible hit-or-miss type of play. Well, he missed all the way. Two catches, 19 yards. Look, there's only two pass catchers that I want to play right now for the Green Bay Packers. That's Devontae Adams and Robert Tanyan, who went five catches, 36 yards, and he got in the end zone again. And just because of the, the, you know, the landscape of the tight end situation, you got a guy who's consistently scoring touchdowns. You're going to play Robert Tunyon as a top 12 tight end every week right now. But outside of that, I don't know how much I want to play Valdez-Scantling. I don't know how much I want to play Alan Lazar because I know the floors for them are bottom. That's kind of the issue there. I'll tell you who I was disappointed by. That was Aaron Jones. And I was, you know what? I can't even say I was disappointed by Aaron Jones. I was more disappointed with the Green Bay Packers in general when it came to the running back touches. Last week, Aaron Jones dominated the touches coming out of the backfield. I thought that maybe that was an indication that the Packers were finally confident enough in Aaron Jones and where he was with his calf injury that they didn't have to worry about it anymore. And they could go back to maybe letting him be featured. Because I think this offense is better with a featured Aaron Jones than it is with a borderline committee between Jones and Jamal Williams. I think they're better when they're that way, but they haven't allowed that to be the case. And then in this game, against the Detroit Lions, a juicy matchup. They decided Jamal Williams still had to get very much involved. And again, this was a game that was pretty close throughout. It wasn't like it was a game script situation where they were just blowing out the Detroit Lions and therefore Jamal Williams could get some touches. No, Aaron Jones had 15 carries and 69 yards, and Jamal Williams still had 10 carries for 38 yards. Now, neither of the running backs were very heavily involved. Jamal Williams in the passing game, that is. Jamal Williams didn't get a target at all. Aaron Jones had two catches for six yards on three targets. But it's just disappointing to see. You have Aaron Jones, who, in your mind, in my rankings and everything else, especially against the Detroit Lions, should be an RB1, and yet you continually have to get fed these RB3 performances because Jamal Williams is involved as he is. That's kind of been the issue for Aaron Jones. I got another good matchup as far as the running backs are concerned against the Carolina Panthers next week, but... 
I think you have to look at Aaron Jones as somebody who's just kind of what he's been throughout his career, quite honestly, which is a guy who can be an RB1 any week, but is going to give you RB2, RB3 performances at the same rate, depending upon whether or not the Packers want to give him all the work or they want to get Jamal Williams involved 40 to 45% of the time. Let's move into the Saints and the Eagles. The Eagles pulling off the upset. Jalen Hurts getting his first win as a starting quarterback. As far as his actual quarterbacking play here, it wasn't great. It was better than what we've gotten out of Carson Wentz, that's for sure. 17 of 30, 167 yards, a touchdown. Just wasn't overly impressive. But again, it was the Saints' defense. What was overly impressive, especially when you're looking at it from a fantasy standpoint, was his rushing. He ran the ball 18 times. 106 yards. He ran over 106 yards in his debut against the Saints. This is not a slow defense. This is not a bad defense. It was clear, and the Philadelphia Eagles were smart in doing this, if you were, if you were going to move from to, to Jalen Hurts to be your starting quarterback anyway. It was clear they built their entire game plan around Jalen Hurts being a dual-threat quarterback, using his legs. They built their entire game plan around it, and it made their offense more efficient. And we'll get into what I mentioned earlier in the show, Miles Sanders. 14 carries, that's it. It wasn't like he got a ton of carries in this game. 115 yards, two touchdowns. Miles Sanders was an RB3 for me this week, meaning he was a flex play, borderline a playable piece in your lineup. And I don't even feel bad about it, because who could blame me? Against the Saints defense, with the way he's played in that offense... I wasn't the only one who had him ranked that low. 115 yards and two touchdowns. If you decide to stick with Miles Sanders, it paid off for you in a big way. 82 of it coming on one one touchdown play. But here's what I'll say, and we've seen it time and time again with the running backs. With Jalen Hurts continuing to be the starting quarterback, with their game plan clearly surrounded by the idea of using Jalen Hurts and RPOs, using his legs as what they build their offense around, Miles Sanders is going to be much more efficient through your fantasy playoffs than he has been leading up to this point. We've seen it. How many times have I harped on this with Mitchell Trubisky? Why him playing at quarterback is so imperative for guys like David Montgomery and Allen Robinson to do what you need them to do in your lineups because you are leaning on those guys from a fantasy standpoint. The same thing could happen here now for Miles Sanders where he could be a league winner with Jalen Hurts as the quarterback. If you could do it against the Saints, you could do it against anybody. And I'll say this for Jalen Hurts. Because he is a dynamic runner and he's actually fast, unlike Carson Wentz, unlike Mitchell Trubisky, his rushing production will give him a fantasy floor. So now all of a sudden Jalen Hurts will be a quarterback that we're looking at quite possibly as a streaming option throughout these playoff matchups. That's the other crazy thing there. Now, as far as the receivers go, nobody was overly involved. Alshon Jeffrey was the one who got the touchdown. That was his only target of the game. Dallas Goddard was the, tar- was the most targeted pass catcher, four catches, 43 yards. Miles Sanders had five targets, four catches, 21 yards. Greg Ward had five targets. Two catches, 20 yards. Jalen Rager, two catches, 46 yards on four targets. It was spread throughout. Zach Ertz only had two catches, eight yards on three targets. Now, this was a good defense. 
But I don't know how great the passing attack is going to be. I don't know how good of a quarterback Jalen Hurts really is. But Miles Sanders, Hurts using his legs, that is something I think we're going to count on from a fantasy standpoint. Dallas Goddard will have to be somebody that we consider hovering around the top 12 tight end area. I think it was good that we saw that he played ahead of Ertz. He was targeted more than Ertz was. But I think everybody in the passing game itself is going to have a limited ceiling. So I don't know if there's a pass catcher I'm playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm thinking about streaming Hertz, and I'm definitely going to be playing Miles Sanders. So let's move over to the Saints side of the ball, which for the first time since Taysom Hill has taken over a quarterback, they had to find a way to come back from behind. And you know what they did? They made this a game, and quite frankly, I think got robbed on an onside kick call. Because when you watch the replay, it looks pretty clear to me there's two Saints on the bottom and one Eagle, and it looked like the Saints are the ones who came away with recovery. But because they called it towards the Philadelphia Eagles, it wasn't enough to overturn it. But I think the Saints actually had a shot there at the end of the game. And it took Taysom Hill a while to get going. He's been slow starting off in every single game so far that he started. He usually puts something together in the second half. And eventually he did get going throwing the football. From a fantasy standpoint, he was fine. 28 of 38, 291 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the pick. 33 yards rushing. It's been two games now since he's given you a rushing touchdown. From a fantasy standpoint, he's actually been a solid producer. I think the big thing in this game is that all of a sudden, guess who was the lead pass catcher, lead targeted pass catcher on the day? It was Alvin Kamara. With Taysom Hill at the starting quarterback, Alvin Kamara had 10 targets, 7 catches and 44 yards to go along with his 50 rushing yards and a touchdown. I think all Kamara owners rejoice. Yes, the fantasy playoffs, he finally gets the ball. Now, I do think it was 100% game script because most of these targets came in the second half when they were trying to come back from behind and Taysom Hill was forced in a situation where he had to throw the ball a ton. So had that game not gone that way, I think we would have seen Alvin Kamara go back to his three-target performance. And the reason that's important is because there was a report coming out this, this morning, or I should say yesterday morning because you're listening to this on Monday. It was Sunday morning that... Perhaps Drew Brees would not come back in Week 15 as previously thought. That perhaps they would want to stay playing it a little bit more cautiously, being that they, even though they lost this game, are still very much in the driver's seat when it comes to the NFC South. Although now that they lost this game and the Packers won, the Packers are now the one seed right now ahead of them. So there is there is some reason to want to get that one seed because the only team getting the first round by. So there is going to be an emphasis on wanting to win that game, especially against Kansas City, which is going to be a tough matchup in its own right and could be a statement game either way. But even with all that on the line, and that was all on the line as of this morning anyway, they were still talking about the idea of playing it safer with Drew Brees and maybe giving him another week off to make sure he's fully recovered. Now, I don't know if them losing this game changes that. And it might, especially if Breeze is close anyway. But that was put out this morning, the idea that maybe Breeze waits till week 16 or week 17 to actually come back rather than coming back next week in week 15. We will see. The point is that Taysom Hill, the door on him being the starting quarterback for week 15 was definitely opened up more this morning than it had been leading into the week because we thought this was it for Hill. We thought for sure Breeze was coming back week 15 originally. So we're going to have to keep our eyes on that throughout the week. Make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter for those player news update notifications. We'll keep you up to date on that. Michael Thomas continues to be very good with Taysom Hill quarterback, though. That's the one thing you haven't had to really worry about too much. Eight catches, 84 yards, eight uh, eight targets in this game. You're good to go with Michael Thomas, no matter who the quarterback is. Emmanuel Sanders was the other guy who got the touchdown in this one. It was a nice 37-yard throw. Nice catch. 
But again, it's Alan Kamara, it's Michael Thomas, it's the Saints quarterback. My fantasy value for who I'm going to be playing off of this team has not changed a lick. So let's get into our last game that we're going to talk about on today's show, which was Washington football team and the San Francisco 49ers. It was an ugly defensive game. And if you had Washington's defense, even if you had San Francisco's defense, if you had Washington's defense, you got two defensive touchdowns that came through for you in a big way. And that Washington defense is getting better and better as the weeks have gone on, mostly because I'm seeing Chase Young become even more and more of a superstar as these weeks are going on right now. And because they win this game and the Giants lost, now they're in the driver's seat for the division. So they're actually looking like a playoff team. Alex Smith did hurt his right leg. It said it was a calf strain. said it's mild. It's more of a, because it's Alex Smith and it's his leg, you're going to be extra cautious about it. So Dwayne Haskins had to come in. And Dwayne Haskins was Dwayne Haskins in this game. But it was just a very mediocre offensive game overall. Terry McLaurin, the second game in a row, was a dud. And while this wasn't going to be a great matchup, Terry McLaurin has been you know, a guy who's been a wide receiver one this year, a high-end wide receiver two. Even in the toughest of matchups, there was no way you weren't going to play him this week. It's just a shame that it comes in this one. You know he cost some people their fantasy football matchups. But if he did not, if you're able to pass on through, even with Terry McLaurin in your lineup, he's somebody that I'm not taking out of my lineup. I'm still going to be playing him no matter what. Logan Thomas had a better game than I thought he would have, but still... Was just he was fine in this game. Six catches, forty-three yards, seven targets. The targets are there. He'll continue to be a guy who's in that top twelve area at the tight end position. This was a tough matchup again for the second week in a row against San Francisco 49ers. He didn't go off against them like he did against Pittsburgh, but was a solid performer here in this one, especially if you're in half point, full point PPR leagues. The targets is what you'll take out of the end of the day when it comes to Logan Thomas. And I do expect Alex Smith to be the starting quarterback next week. I think the big story here is that J.D. McKissick was not heavily outcarried by Peyton Barber in this game. And not only was he not heavily outcarried, he was actually efficient on the ground against San Francisco. 11 carries, 68 yards. 6.2 yards a carry. Peyton Barber was Peyton Barber-like. 12 carries, 37 yards, very inefficient. He didn't get the touchdown to go with it. Things that you would expect out of Peyton Barber anyway. J.D. McKissick only had four targets in this game, two catches, 18 yards. But again, the passing game in general was not very involved. I mean, Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith combined through for 31 times this entire game. This was a completely defensive matchup. Where Washington pretty much led from halftime on. The 49ers just offensively with Nick Mullins, they just... Look, like I said, Washington's defense is coming along. They're playing great. They're they're looking like a top six defense right now in the NFL. So there is that aspect to it. But with Nick Mullins, the 49ers just have very limited ability to be able to threaten from an offensive standpoint. Raheem Mostert had to leave this game for a little bit to get evaluated for a head injury. Came back. He was cleared. He did get 14 carries in this game. So that's a step in the right direction. But Jeff Wilson Jr. still had 11. He was still kind of right there, still taking away from Raheem Mostert's upside at the end of the day. Mostert only had 65 yards. Wilson winds up getting the touchdown again this week. I think Mostert's going to be due for it, but it doesn't... Because he's he's saying he's not 100%, and the way Shanahan's been playing this, and now with this loss kind of knocking them out of the playoff contention, not that Raheem Mostert's locked down for a long-term contract, but knowing what he was to this team, especially early on, 
especially from an offensive standpoint. It's hard to imagine that they're not going to look to try to bring Raheem Mostert back. I don't know if they're going to throw him to the Wolves in a season that is pretty much lost at this point now they lost to the Washington football team. And Arizona wound up being the Giants. They're not really in contention for the wild card anymore. So I don't think Raheem Mostert at any point is the lead guy like he was at one point early on in this season. It's clear that Jeff Wilson Jr. has the favor of Kyle Shanahan right now, enough so to where he wants to get him involved, even though he's been wildly inefficient the past two weeks. So Mostert will still be an RB3 with a high ceiling because it only takes one play when it comes to him. We all know that. But he won't be anything more than an RB3 because he will have a low floor because the touches are just limiting his ceiling. Debo Samuel went down this game with a hamstring injury. I think he's done for the year. You can see it on his face. He definitely thought, he definitely knew right away it was something serious enough to knock him out, not only out of that game, but being as a hamstring, being that Debo has been struggling so much with injury, being that the 49ers are now out of the playoff contention and only have three games left in the season, I don't see why you bring Debo Samuel back, even if he could come back. I think he's done for the rest of the year. Now, that does pave the way for Brandon Ayuk to have performances like he did in this game. 10 catches, 119 yards on 16 targets. Brandon Ayuk, not only has he developed every single week and gotten better every single week, and we're starting to see a pretty good wide receiver as a rookie coming out of San Francisco right now, but he's going to get featured heavily from here on out because there's no reason not to. So Brandon Ayuk is somebody who's going to be a high-end wide receiver three, borderline wide receiver two guy who has upside because he has big play capability. And he's proven that even with Nick Mullins as starting quarterback. I'll also add this. I think this loss also throws cold water on the entire idea of Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle coming back possibly week 16. I think there's no chance of that happening now either. So I think Nick Mullins might be the starting quarterback the rest of the way. Maybe it'll be C.J. Berthard if he continues to struggle. But either way, I'm not expecting Jimmy Garoppolo to come back. And that's it from a fantasy standpoint. That's it for the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys get what you need out of the Sunday night, the Monday night games to pull off into the next round, to continue on with us at MD Nation, continue on with us here with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will be back tomorrow to recap the Sunday night game, the Monday night game, and talk about the waiver wire report, which might be another short one, but we will see. We'll see what tomorrow brings. Everyone stay safe, stay happy, and enjoy the primetime games. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design.